0: Go. We, orig- um, we originally moved to Halliburton because of my work, as I said, in 1991, and, and I lived down down the road in West Guilford. Uh, many of you know Madiba, but those of you who don't know Madiba, let me give you a brief overview and uh, tell you a little bit about the context of not only me personally, but of the topic that we're going to speak about today. Well, Madiba was founded in 1952 as a Christian summer camp, and a few days later, um, from now, I will have worked at Mediba full-time for 39 years. So I was like, how, you know, those of us who are older can understand, how does time go by that quickly? Really hard to know. Well, and in, in, uh, most of that time, I was the executive director of Medeba. But in the March of uh, 2017, um, I had the privilege of being succeeded by uh, Steve Archibald, who is actually an elder here, and he is now the executive director of Medeba, and I serve as the executive advisor. Uh, we still form an executive team and and uh, provide overall leadership for madeba and madeba has been a long-time mission partner with lakeside and we appreciate the ongoing prayers and support um, i hope that some of you and how many of you have never actually been on madeba's property any there's a few people here. Well, you folks are going to have to come for a visit. There's, we have an open house every year at uh, the second weekend in July and where you can try out the activities and just to have a tour of the place. And we appreciate that opportunity and would love for you to connect. Last, last night we had an auction. Who was at the auction last night at Medeba? Well, it was almost all this well, side. Oh, a few at the back here. Well, we've been having it for years. It's a lot of fun. Next year you should mark in your calendar. It would be great to see that you come. Mediva uh, has about a 200-bed facility, and we operate year-round, and we have 16 year-round staff, and uh, we have four primary programs that we run. The summer camp that's been going right from the beginning, and almost right from the beginning we had outdoor education for schools and guest group retreats. And then we have a ten-month leadership development program called Persago. And actually, there are quite a few people who, if you've ever taken Persago, put up your hand. There's a few people, Look, there's quite a few people in our room. On all three, yeah. And thank you back there. All three rows here. Uh, now Persago has been going for 25 years, and it's been an amazing opportunity to see people grow in their faith. So our mission is to use adventure and community to challenge young people to continually say yes to God. So, adventure and community are our primary tools that we use to accomplish our mission. And at Mediva, we desire to intentionally use these these uh, tools, and, and we're always learning how to do that a little bit better. Today, I'm going to explain a little bit of our journey of one of those tools, and that is adventure. Um, and show some the biblical foundation of adventure as a teaching tool. This message is a bit different, but it's solidly biblical, as you'll see in a minute. I love adventure. I suppose each of you could tell your stories of growing up and experiencing adventures of your own. It's always been a core part of my life ever since I was younger. I grew up at a camp just down the road in, in uh, Muskoka called Camp Mineohe, where I spent um, the first, uh, yeah, my, my parents were there for 30 years. I, I spent the first 21 summers of my life there. And I grew up with that as my backyard. That, that was just sort of my home base. And, and it really impacted me in many, many ways, and obviously still involved in camping today. Um, I was introduced to cool activities like learning how to swim or paddle a canoe or light a fire and and many more activities like that. And at summer camp, I also had the opportunity to uh, learn how to do canoe trips and this uh, picture that you see in front of you is a picture of me in 1976 actually when I was not working full-time for Mediva so this is prior to 39 years ago obviously and I led a a canoe trip from the northwest corner of Algonquin Park a big question mark all the way down through Algonquin Park and right back to Mediva so kind of kind of a a, a cool trip that was there Um, you know something happened to me inside of trips I'm not sure if you've ever been in one yourself but I was stretched in so many ways Uh, Physically, I developed strength and skill as I learned to paddle a canoe and and that I could carry a a pack longer than I ever thought it was possible. Socially, I learned how to get along with people who are different than I am. And I learned that that life is not all about me, but it's about us. Mentally, I learned uh, new things such as problem solving, the best places to put a tent, and sometimes learning the hard way by putting the tent in the wrong location spiritually i saw the majesty of god and we were singing today benton about the stars and he names the stars and, and i am constantly amazed when i look up in the stars and see the beauty of this, his creation we'll talk about that in a minute um, eventually i began to assist and to lead some of these trips and not only did i see significant change happen in my life but i could articulate and see in others as well i knew it was special but i really didn't understand why I knew there was a power that uh, I could not articulate um, how to maximize the impact until I was introduced to secular adventure theories such as that espoused by people like Kurt Hahn, the, the father of adventure education, as he's sometimes called. Um, and he, he was founded Outward Bound in the 1940s. He and many others like him have developed the uh, secular adventure theories into a fairly well-known um, uh, philosophy of learning today. We learned lots of amazing secular theories, concepts, and applied them to our ministry at Medeba. We found ourselves using these theories and adapting our beliefs in the process. Some worked really well, others not so much. So I knew there was power for life change, but I was not clear as to why. I was never taught about it personally, and nor did I teach others. And little was written about it from a Christian perspective. And every time I could see a little article or a section in a book, I ate it up and was very interested to find it. I knew that adventure was in the Bible. And perhaps you could think of adventure stories that are in the Bible naturally anyways. I could think of stories like David who was uh, called by God to uh, stand up against the giant uh, Goliath. And uh, that was an incredible story when you think of it. I learned about... Peter, who stepped out of the water to come to the Lord who was walking in the water, what an adventure experience that would have been. What we needed, we believed, was a comprehensive biblical understanding of the role of adventure, the process of life learning, a theology of adventure, if you please. I was really hoping someone else would do it. But eventually I said to the Lord, I felt the Lord sensing to me, you do it. Ever felt inadequate? Have you ever? Has anyone ever felt inadequate? (laughs) Yes. Well, I feel inadequate all the time. Even coming here, even though I know what I'm saying, there's a sense of inadequacy. But we, you know, eventually I obeyed. So we set off on a journey. We needed a map for the journey, and the Bible is God's word given to us. It's sort of a map for our lives. In it, we find every principle that we need to live our lives. Not only is the Bible an amazing book, but it's inspired. When I say the word inspired, I don't, you, we, we automatically go to thinking, uh, ideas in our culture like a musician being inspired to compose a, a, a score of music or an artist being inspired to paint a masterpiece. Inspired is not quite like that. Biblical inspiration means God breathed. It's the idea that he used people um, by having his ideas spoken through them. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed, that is inspired, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe that the Bible is God's revealed word to us, and as such has authority for truth. Of course, not every topic in the Bible Uh, is found in the Bible. We know it's just not that way. But universal truths about God and his creation, including man, are clearly explained and includes every principle that we need to live our lives the way we should. Scripture reveals timeless principles that can be applied to life today. One of those principles, I believe, is that adventure is a legitimate teaching tool that both God and other leaders use through Scripture and who have successfully done so down through the ages. I set out on a a journey to pour through the scriptures and discover what it reveals about adventure as a teaching tool. We've established in doing so, we established four criteria to sort of form a grid, and those criteria are listed before you. First of all, there must be a leader who set up a task or an experience. The outcome of that experience must be uncertain, which is the essence of what adventure is. There has to be risk for the participant, and it must be designed for positive learning. And we took scripture and read it through many times and, and ran it through the grid. And at the end of that, we came up with 105 examples that met all four of these criteria. And we developed those into 19 principles. And those 19 principles we made into a book. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to talk to you about the book today. I really want to talk to you about the core principles behind the book. But some of you may be interested in, in uh, engaging and talking about that. It's certainly the essence of what we do at Mediba if you want to find out more about that. So what is adventure? Adventure, the origins of the word come from the Latin word adventura, which uh, literally means to come. And eventually it came to mean the idea of a hazard or a risk or taking a chance. And uh, an experience must have an uncertain outcome. Really, any activity you undertake, the outcome is uncertain. But it's the degree of uncertainty determines the degree of adventure. So at Medeva we've developed our own working definition and I'll just say that briefly here to give you an idea of what we, we think. Um, Christian adventure is a Bible-based strategy that leaders use to design and guide controlled risk experiences where people are encouraged to say yes to God. Now that's a mouthful and we have a lot behind it but I just want just to make a couple of comments about it as we go through. First of all, it's God's idea. It's not man's idea leaders used and adventure in the context of the bible is always in the context of leadership hence that's that was one of the criteria that we used to establish which the research and that leaders used uh, is important and and the idea of intentionality is seen in the designing and guiding and you can see them in scripture lots of times they're very specific when i looked at it for these eyes you could really see it clearly controlled risk experience by definition risk is part of adventure and we're going to be talking about that in a minute where people, which could be either an individual or a group, are encouraged to say yes to God. This idea of saying yes to God is very important to us at Mediba. It's the essence of our mission. And we, it's really a philosophy of evangelism and discipleship. So let's explain that a little bit right now so it gives you a little framework of how we view this. We've chosen to develop a tool that is solidly biblical and easy to understand. So at Medeba, we define yes in the broadest of ways. Any decision that makes a step towards learning and applying truth about self, others, and God is a yes decision. It's a continuum that's shown in three parts. So let's just break down each of those three parts. And it's a, a series of a whole bunch of decisions. It, it's not just even the number of ticks that are on the scale right now. First, a yes decision before conversion is part of evangelism. So let me give some examples from a, from a camp context. A school group is on a backpacking trip and pauses to reflect on a spectacular sunset. You ever ever have those sunsets that you're driving along, you actually got to pull over to the side of the road because they're so amazing? That kind of sunset. And then an outspoken atheist in the group says, a comment says, wow, maybe there is a God. That is a yes decision. Or a guest is on a trip, is intrigued about what she heard about God, and asks her, her leader, could I have a Bible? I'd like to check that out for myself. That is a yes decision. Yes decisions in the context of evangelism are made, even if they don't understand that they're making them. It's important, and we celebrate those at Medeba. Next, a yes decision, a conversion, is salvation. So there is a time that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. The Bible is clear that to become a Christian, we must come to Jesus and believe, trust, have faith, believe in him, but it doesn't stop there. And that's sometimes what, what the problem is in church is that we think that that's where it is. I've made it into heaven. I don't need to grow. But the yes decisions need to continue. So finally, a yes decision after conversion is part of discipleship. For instance, let me give some examples from a, um, a, a camp perspective again. Think of a teenage girl who was hurt by her friend who betrayed her confidence by sharing an embarrassing story about her. Later, the friend felt bad and asked for forgiveness, which was extended. What a wonderful example of a yes decision. Or, after hearing a talk about honoring your father and mother, a young man determines that when he goes home, he needs to start treating his mother and father differently. That is a yes decision, and we celebrate that. All of these are examples of yes decisions that are in the context of discipleship. The leader's role is to move people along the continuum by creating windows of opportunity for yes choices to be made. We create these opportunities, and God uses them in His perfect timing. The validity of Christian adventure is evidenced because it is extensively found throughout the Bible. matter of fact, 28 of the 66 books in the Bible, that's 42% of the books, have examples of Christian adventure. I thought that was amazing when I looked at it. Um, let me give you just a highlight of some of those major texts of scripture as we do a broad overview of that. So the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we find in Genesis uh, a story of Noah, which is like a a classic adventure story. This guy's told told in the middle of a dry land to build an ark. Can you imagine how long it would have taken him to build that? Can you imagine the ridicule that he would have had from all the people who passed by and said, What are you doing, Mr. Noah? I can imagine. He was on a journey, and uh, the story, if you want to read about it, and if you don't know about it, is amazing, to see what God did through that story. Historical books, we think of people like Gideon. Another one of my favorite adventure stories. Gideon was uh, called to mobilize to fight the the Midianites, and the ends up bringing a great victory with only three hundred men. I I love the story because the Midianites were oppressing Israel, and they cried out for help. Judges is full of this all the way through. God chose a fearful man who was threshing wheat in a wine press. I mean, he was so afraid of uh, others, and uh, because the Midianites would come and just uh, pillage the land every year. But God called him, and he together called the army, and he said, and thirty-two thousand men came. That's a pretty good army. Yeah. So now he's got, and God said, "Um, that's too many men. So he said, so he said, anyone who's fearful can go home. Well, twenty-two thousand left. Uh, I don't know whether you would have been one of them. Perhaps I would have been one of them. Uh, So now there's ten thousand left. I mean, these are like strong and fighting men. But well, then God says to Midian, sorry, to uh, Gideon. God says, that's still too many men, because you're going to think that you did it on your own. So, he, said, so he, he made a task, and we won't go into the details now, that basically separated down to 300. I mean, it was so ridiculous that God put this in the situation that they were forced to have to trust in God. And if you want to read the story, again, you can read about it in Judges 6 and 7. All right, but how about a, a person like Noah in and, and the prophets? And there's lots of examples of the prophets being asked to do absolutely crazy things. So Noah, uh, sorry, so Jonah was uh, called by God to speak a message of judgment to the people of Nineveh. The, the people of Nineveh were really the enemies of the Israelites. And Jonah was given the task and he went in the opposite direction. But God intervened by sending a storm and then a fish and, and finally he reluctantly obeys. Interesting how, that, how he responded and how that was adventurous. The gospel, in particular, the, the life of Jesus, is so full of incredible examples of adventure. Remember when Jesus commanded his disciples to feed the crowd of 5,000 with only a few loaves and fish? I mean, well, do you, do you, you know, they had been out in the wilderness for a while and, and, and he says to his disciples, um, yeah, these, these guys are getting hungry. He says, you give them something to eat. <laughs> that disciples' looking back and said well we hardly have anything a few fish and like a couple of loaves of bread and yet god does a miracle through this in the very fact why did jesus say you get something to eat it's an interesting uh, thing to unpack and understand he he was trying to lead them through an adventure experience to see how they would respond and they were about to see an incredible miracle or think of ananias i don't know if you know of ananias but um if you think of uh uh the Apostle Paul, before he was called the Apostle Paul, he was called Saul. And he was an adamant persecutor of this new Christianity. Matter of fact, he was so full of zeal, he got permission from the people in Jerusalem to go up to Damascus with papers to be able to imprison and throw these Christians in Damascus into jail. The early church was was experiencing some incredible persecution at this time. So in the midst of it, God met and um. Saul in an incredible way. He was blinded. And, and then, but the guy that, the sort of the small character in the story is, is Ananias. He was told to go to Saul and to heal him. Sometimes we read scripture, we read it too quickly. We have to, like, let that soak in. This is the guy that's been, in not only participating in murder, but been imprisoning and throwing people into jail. And that very guy, Paul, uh, Ananias is told to go and meet with. What an adventure and what a story. So we have a textbook of adventure examples in the Bible itself. So of my research, I determined there are five core principles. We don't have time to look at those all today. Instead, we're just going to look at two in the time that we have remaining. And those two are risking and trusting. So let's first look at the concept of risking. See, biblical adventure or uh, Christian adventure, as I sometimes call it, and I use those terms interchangeably, is, always involves risk. I'm not sure how much you've ever thought about risk or what, what, what you think of when you think of risk. Maybe you're risk-adverse. Maybe you're actually very risky and you're willing to try new things. The root of the word risk comes from the Italian word risco, which means to dare. And think of the Italian and Spanish soldiers who would, were renowned for their adventurous spirits that took them to the four corners of the world, really to dreaming about becoming rich and famous. They would put themselves at great risks in the hope of attaining great rewards. Um, they could become lost at sea or succumb to a violent storm or be killed by indigenous people or they could simply return with a ship full of gold and spices and be given a high government position for discovering new land and a new continent by the way this doesn't say that i'm not saying that that was a good thing that, that that happened i'm just saying that that's how that word was used see risk carries the idea of both danger and reward See, choice is at the center of risk. God created the idea of risk by giving us the ability to choose. I'm not sure how much you've thought about this, but hopefully we can just pause to think about it for a few minutes. Think of the story of the first people on the earth, Adam and Eve. Let me read um, a passage from Genesis that describes them in Genesis 3. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying... You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you will eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve were created with the ability to choose. Just like Adam and Eve had the ability to choose, we also have the ability to freely express our love to God and to others, or not. We were not created as robots, but we were created with that ability to choose. Now, having that ability to choose meant that we could choose either good or evil. You see, God uses risk to teach us how to live. He places risk in our lives, in life circumstances that force us to reach out and trust Him, which we'll be talking about in a minute. It takes us out of our comfort zone and lays a foundation that teaches us to trust. But only when we learn to embrace risk, whether it be physical, emotional, social, economic, spiritual, can we really dare to experience the rewards? Let's consider the story of the prophet Nathan as we look into, as he confronts King David in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12. We'll sort of summarize that. At that time, David is firmly established as the king of Israel. He's out for a breath of fresh air on, on his rooftop and looks down and sees below a woman bathing. That woman's name was Bathsheba. He, being the king, had authority to do anything, so he sent for her. And he brought her back to his chamber and had adultery with her. She eventually became pregnant and things got worse for him. He Committed adultery. And then so he knew, he wanted his, actually Uriah, her husband, was one of his army officers. So he got him to arrange for him to come back and to sleep with his wife so that somehow he would think that it was his baby. But he refused to go because he says, I'm not going to go out when the army's at war. Wow. David it got worse for him and he conspires to have uriah killed and you can read the details about it a horrible time even for an amazing man of god who was known as a david was known as a man after god's own heart if you think you can't fail (laughs) just think about him usually we think about the story from david's perspective but take a minute to think about what it would have been like for nathan Remember, the king had absolute power. They could do whatever he wanted. So here's what Nathan was told to say to King David. In chapter 12, we read, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men told the story. There were two men in a certain city. One was a rich and the other was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but a little ewe lamb which he had bought. He had brought it up and it grew up with him and his children and he used to eat morsel and drink from his cup and he lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. Remember, David was a shepherd too, so he knew all about this. Now there came to be a, a traveler, it was a rich man, he, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock and herd to prepare for a guest who had come to him. And he took the poor man's lamb and prepared for, it a man, uh, for the man who had come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to David, to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he should restore the lamb fourfold because he did not, did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Wow. Just like Nathan the prophet, sometimes we're asked to step out of our comfort zone. And do things that uh, are not comfortable and are risky, not knowing what the result would be. Actually, Nathan was never promised what the result would be. There are, there are examples of people who obeyed God and were killed. We don't think of those. We always think that God always rescues, He doesn't always do that. We need to read our Bibles and be more familiar with it if we think so. Remember the question that I asked at the beginning What caused you to grow? When you were, can you think of the time in your life? I have come to believe that we can't grow without taking a risk. We need to step outside of our comfort zones and boundaries of personal security to allow God to teach us new lessons. Risk is necessary for growth. In our as we age, and everyone here is younger than those down there, <laughs> so we're all aging. Our desire for risk diminishes, and it takes effort to continue to seek risk. And we have to be intentional about doing so. Are you willing to risk or to try something new? Years ago, I made it the goal that when I... This is when I was a lot younger. When I was 80, which doesn't seem that long from now. <coughs> but when I was 80, that I'd learn something new. I want to be learning new things. It's not comfortable to learn new things and to do things that, that aren't... It's actually kind of risky. Are you willing to say take a risk and say yes to someone at church maybe there's just talk to someone that you don't normally talk to or or volunteer for something that you've never done before are you willing to invite someone for dinner or someone that's not ready a regular part of your friends will you say yes to appropriate risk is the question i believe that god asks each of us nobody grew closer to god or did anything significant for god without risking ask god to give you the wisdom to choose something appropriate to do even this week Closely linked to risk is the second principle. That's the principle of trusting. See, Christian adventure is rooted in a deep trust in God. Have you ever experienced a significant breach of trust in your life? Actually, put up your hand if you have. There's a lot of people with their hands up. I've not had that many. I've had some. Um, My first girlfriend later married a man who beat her up regularly it broke my heart. I have friends whose spouses have left them for somebody else. I know of people who have told vicious lies about other friends. And I know of precious children who have sexually been abused by a trusted adult. These are significant examples of trust being violated. And I'm sure that if we talked to each of you, you could probably say your own list. We live in a society that is increasingly suspicious of people, and in many cases for good reason. Trust is a rare thing. But trust is not only a core concept of adventure, it's a core concept in the Bible. So let's just take a few minutes to look and do a a brief overview in a minute of trust. One dictionary defines trust as to rely or place confidence in something or someone. Think of an example of a chair. When you came into the auditorium today, my guess is that none of us sat, uh, looked at the chair and sat down and said, is this going to work? But if we came in and it was a dilapidated old chair that uh, was paint pe- peeling off and, or there, there was something obviously wrong with it, it might result in suspicion. And that makes sense. Biblical words for trust include belief, faith, confidence, dependence so let's look and do a brief overview as i said of the idea of trust in the bible first of all let's look at good trust then we're going to look at bad trust and then we're going to look at um, good human trust so good trust proverbs 3 verse 5 says trust in the lord with all your heart god is the only one who can fully be trusted the, t- the scriptures teach jeremiah seventeen seven says but blessed is the man who trusts in the lord whose confidence is in him God knows the one who trusts Him and He will bless Him in many ways. Or think of Jesus in John 2, verse 11, when He said to His disciples, um, He and His disciples put their faith in Him. The disciples were continually reminded to believe in Jesus in every circumstance that they encountered. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says the following words, Trust in God, trust also in Me. See, Jesus equated Himself with God and He and the Father could be fully trusted, interesting enough, when the believers were first sorry when the Christians were first called believers uh, because they believed slash trusted slash depended upon God, that so characterized who they were that that was their title, the trusted ones, because they were trusting in God in a very special way now let's look at bad trust what does the bible have to say about bad trust now it's interesting as you look at this list and consider this list consider what our our culture is like and how we actually as a culture put a lot of trust in these things proverbs 28 verse 26 says he who trusts in himself is a fool wow read popular listen to a popular music everything's about trusting in yourself these days you can't trust in anyone else you got trust in yourself cursed is the one who trusts in man jeremiah 17 verse 5 says who depends on flesh for his strength so someone says oh, i'm not going to trust myself i'm going to trust in my friend or other people that i know or other ideas that i've heard from other people see trusting in others to solve your problems will result in being cursed the bible teaches our proverbs 11 verse 28 which which says whoever trusts in riches will fail or will fall sorry Wealth is often seen as, in this world as a means to security. I've made it. If I've got enough, just enough money, I'll have the security. It is false trust. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord our God, Psalm 20, verse 7. See, man-made creations or accomplishments are also not the source of biblical trust. So pretty much everything that the world puts its trust in, the Bible says don't. So we go, Wow! what do we do? We hear, we hear about trusting God. We hear about, what, do, how do, what about trusting people? So it doesn't mean that we should never trust people. The trust is the bond of human relationships. And there is good human trust. Proverbs 31 verse 11 describes the godly woman as having a husband who has full confidence or trust in her. I'm incredibly blessed to have been married to my wife Glenda for 36 years and my confidence in her continues to grow every year. A really interesting verse is found in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, in the middle of the love chapter. It says that love, do, 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 dot, 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 always trusts. Fascinating. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that. It means that in doubtful cases, he or she will err on the side of believing others rather than suspecting them. It means that love is always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. Of course, at times we'll be let down and there'll be a need for restoration but that's the essence of the christian life that's the essence of life together because we come to someone and we say i'm sorry that's what confession is and that's where the role of forgiveness comes up colossians 3 verse 13 describes this it says we need to bear with one another and forgive what other grievances you may have against each other forgive as the lord forgave you that's the model of forgiveness that we use wow has the lord forgiven us much we should do the same with our brother and sister one of my favorite bible stories um, is found in genesis chapter 22 as we read um, i'm going to read part of that right now is this account of abraham and isaac abraham was promised a son if you remember if you know the story and uh, he was an old man he was 75 years old really past the age of childbearing with him and his wife and he not only the promise was that is that he would be a father of many people so So Abraham received this amazing promise. That would have been a great day. Abraham had to wait 25 years before he had his son. He was 100. I'm not sure if you know of 100-year-olds. I I know of a few, not many around. But can you imagine having a baby at the age of 100? Well, they did. And they had an incredible uh, man, and they called this this, uh, child Isaac. And what's Isaac mean? Does anyone know sorry does somebody know a little louder laughter that's what it means because it's a joke to think that actually you could have a baby when you're that old for sure that's the idea it was called laughter well then let's read the story about what god said to this 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 man who had his only son who was the promise of the future of the world of a nation Abraham, uh, so what happens is, uh, think of the story, Abraham immediately, uh, sorry, let me read the story, I lost my place. Um, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I should tell you. Again, sometimes we read Scripture really quick and we go on to the next verse. You've got to let that sink in. That was his only son. He was old, past age of time Building, and, and he was told to sacrifice his son. Incredible story. So Abraham, what does he do? He actually immediately obeys, travels three days, goes with his son, they build an altar, they put sticks on it, and then he binds his son and puts him on the altar. And then we read these words, just to save some reading of the scripture. Um, we, we read the following words. Abraham took uh, and reached his hand out and took a knife to slaughter his son i i just can't imagine doing that but the angel of the lord called to him from heaven and said abraham abraham and he said same words as before here i am he said do not lay your hand on the boy or anything do anything to him for i know that you fear god because you have not withheld from me your son your only son what an incredible story of trust you can read more if you want to hear how the story ends There are many other examples in Scripture that show incredible trust. Think of the example, I'll just give you two really quick from other parts 2 Kings 18 and 19. The the king of Assyria had close to 200,000 men surrounding Jerusalem. A massive army was threatening them. And Hezekiah seeks the Lord for help. And we read an incredible miracle happened. That night, God slew 185,000 men, they just died. It's an incredible story and that the city was rescued and incredible trust through the process. How about Jesus again, which I gave examples of it, but this example of him sending out his 72 disciples ahead when he was trying to uh, spread the message through the land at the time. So he sent these men ahead uh, in two-by-twos, in pairs, and, and he instructs them to carry no money bag or knapsack or sandals or anything else to look after their needs. They had to trust God on the way. The Bible's full of the idea of trust. Just like the Bible teaches to us to embrace risk in our lives, we are also encouraged to embrace trust. We encounter situations where we are unsure of the outcome. Anyone in a situation right now, you're unsure of the outcome? Put up your hand if you are. I mean, I'm in. I, most of us are. We're not. No, that's what an adventure is. And there is risk associated with it, whatever you choose. It's in these very situations that God calls us and we are encouraged to express our full trust in God. I don't understand it. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to work it out, but I trust you. That's when you grow. That's when I grow. So just like risk, trust is a choice. It takes time to build and it's fragile and it can be destroyed very quickly. Basing your confidence in life in a deep trust of God creates a platform to extend smart trust to others. It actually allows you to live a more trusting life. What's God asking you to trust him with today? Just think of those things. Think of something in your mind. What's that primary thing that comes to your mind? Don't live your life on your own strength. You can't do it. The Bible teaches it. Maybe you think you can do it. I mean, we know what happens of those who trust in their own strength believe in him and put your confidence in him not only is this a core concept of a, a biblical adventure but it's a core concept of what it means to live the Christian life so we've looked at two core concepts of Christian adventure first of all we looked at risk risking Adventure, Christian adventure always involves risks Let's make a commitment to continue to grow by stepping out of our comfort zones. Let's, let's, let's think back to those times where you, where you really grew. My guess is that at those times you risked. You stepped out and did something. But as you got older, it's so easy not to do that. I would encourage us all to seek God's face, but not hold back in trusting him to step out and risk. Second is trusting that Christian adventure is rooted in a deep trust in God. And as we risk we will be in the position of having or being forced to trust. And that's what the position that often God wants us to be in that we're forced to there's no other alternative. Cuz when that happens God can come through big time. Even if he doesn't answer the way we think. He can come through and will come through. Let's live our lives full of adventure. And if you ever would like to talk further about this, I'd love to explore it. There's more. There's tons more behind this, but right now, really, I, I want you to just focus on God. What's God speaking to you about today? How 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 would He want you to trust Him? What in what areas do you want? Would He want you to step out and risk something new? Let's close in prayer. So, Heavenly Father, we confess that we are so prone to doing things the opposite of what you tell us to do. You tell us not to trust in ourselves, and we trust in ourselves. You tell us not to trust in wealth, and we trust in wealth. You tell us not to trust in in, um, circumstances and accomplishments, and we lean back on those. Lord, help us to lean fully and heavily on you, realizing that it's only with, with you helping us that we can accomplish the things that you want us to do. Help us also to be bold and to reach out and to risk something that we've never done. It doesn't matter what age we are, whatever stage we are, help us, Lord, to live that life that we will be known as trusters or as believers in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.